morning. Good to see each one that is here this morning. It's good to be in God's house. I've appreciated the service uh, that we've had thus far. I almost thought that uh, Brother Micah was going to share my message. He was talking there in Psalms about, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he had chosen for his own inheritance. Also, I think was mentioned before, uh, the first song we sang um, about giving glory, the glory going to, to God. We say the children's lesson. Um, that's very good. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for the great God that you are. We thank you for making salvation possible for mankind. We thank you that we have your word. Father, just pray that you would bless us this morning as we look into your word, that you would make it come alive to us, it would speak to our hearts, we could apply it to our lives in this day in which we live. Just ask that you would guide and direct, give me the words to say. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can turn your Bibles to Exodus 19. I don't know if I can watch the time or not. I guess I need to apologize for the last time I had a message. I didn't realize it was so long. I didn't think I would be one that has a problem with that. Um... I can't do two things at one time, so if I get too long, somebody has to stop me. Brother Myron was message on the Passover a few weeks ago. I was also reading there in Exodus. Then we see how God parted the Red Sea and brought Israel out of Egypt by his miraculous power. God provided for them with water, man, and quail. Now here, uh, in the third month after they come out of Egypt, we find them at Mount Sinai, here in Exodus 19. And if we look there in verse 4, starting in verse 4, Ye have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and and holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Here we see God beginning to talk about a kingdom. He has brought Israel out of Egypt. 
brought them unto himself. And I forget those verses that talk about God didn't choose them because of how good they were or whatever, but he chose them, I think, to show his glory to the nations. Here's one of these things. If you will obey, and God goes on and says uh, what he will promise to do if they obey him, they will be a special treasure above all people, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Verse 7, Moses tells the people what the Lord commanded. Exodus 19.8 And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the works of the words of the Lord of the people unto the Lord. They'd have to think about it. It's not what we say, it's what we do. But here they had said that they would obey. Then God reveals a little bit of his power and glory. Uh, verse 18. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke there ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. Chapter 20, God gives the Ten Commandments. Simple, basic principles of how to live, straight from the master designer, our creator. Chapter 21 talks about laws and treatment of servants, laws against violence. Chapter 22, laws about repayment, human relationships. Chapter 23, he talks about the seventh day and three festivals each year they were to gather together. In chapter 23 there, verse 20, he says, Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. God's angel would go before them. Verse 25. He shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. He promised that they would be healthy. Verse 28. And I will send the hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before thee. The hornet was going to drive out their enemies. They were not even going to have to fight. Then there in chapter 24, Moses told the people all the words of the Lord. Chapter 24, verse 3. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said, we will do. Is that our testimony? And we answer with one voice, all the words of the Lord has said, we will do. Then Moses goes up into the mount for 40 days and 40 nights. God gives instructions for the tabernacle. He gives the Ten Commandments written with the finger of God on stone. Jump ahead to chapter 28. Here he talks about the priests, making garments for the priests, and all the things that they were to have. 
Verse 36. And thou shalt make a plate of gold, of pure gold, engrave upon it like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And thou shalt put it on a blue lace, that it may be upon the mitre, upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be, and it shall be upon Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things, which the children of Israel shall hallow, and all their holy gifts. And it shall be always upon his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. They were to wear a sign that said, Holiness unto the Lord. Could I wear this with all the things I do, the places I go, the things I look at? Chapter 31. God appointed builders. He called them by name who was supposed to lead out. Verse 3, chapter 31, verse 3. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and all manner of workmanship to devise cunning works, to work in gold and silver and brass and cutting of stones, to set them and carving of timber, to work in all manner of workmanship. God also gave a helper that was supposed to help him there. Then chapter 32, we come to the golden calf. Last Sunday, Brother John likened the law of gravity to the law of sin and death. Here's an example. As soon as we stop paying attention, we go down. The children of Israel show too much similarity to what our human nature is like. Exodus 32, they're reading in verse 4. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. That was the gold, earrings and so on. After he had made a molten calf, and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. They rose up to up early on the morrow and offered, sac- offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Verse 25. And when Moses saw the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto the shame among their enemies. The worship of the golden calf led to more sins, even caused the enemies of God to scoff. Like John D. Martin says, the devil's table is a smorgasbord. You get a full course meal. You can't pick and choose what you get. We see the results of this in verse 35, Exodus 32:35. The Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron had made. There were consequences. God had promised them if they obeyed, but when they disobeyed, There was consequences. Then in chapter 33, God gives orders for them to go up into the land which he promised them. 
said he was going to send an angel before them. Chapter 33, verse 3. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. I think I was mentioned in the devotions too about being stiff-necked. Verse, look at verse 7 there. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. It came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. How sad. The tabernacle, the place where God dwelt, had to be moved outside the camp. Seems like because of their rebellion, their stiff-neckedness, um, almost sounds like God was afraid if he was too close to them, he would consume them, consume, consume them because he couldn't put up with what they were doing. We move on to chapter 34. Moses used two more tablets of stone for the Ten Commandments. Chapter 34, verse 12. God says, Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Psalm 106 tells us that they did not destroy the nations, as God had said, but they mingled among the heathen. They learned their works. They served their idols, and they were a snare unto them. Verse 24 there was another promise God had given them. When they um, would gather together to the festivals, God was promising that no one would come and take their lands. Chapter 35, here they start collecting building materials for the tabernacle. Verse 21 of chapter 35, And they came, every one whose heart stirred him up, and every one whom his spirit made willing. They brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation, and for all his service, and for the holy garments. So here we see, every one whose heart Stirred him up. Everyone who was willing, they began to bring things for the tabernacle. Reminded me of the verse in uh, Nehemiah, um, where he said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Am I a builder? Verse 30. Chapter 35, verse 30. Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Biziel and the son of Uriah, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. We see they had order to the project. Jump ahead, chapter 36, verse 5. Here we see Moses telling them that people bring more than enough. They had more than what they could needed. They had to stop the people from bringing. When they worked together, 
They had more than enough for the task at hand. Chapter 39, verse 32. Thus was all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation finished. And the children of Israel did according to all the Lord commanded Moses. So did they. And chapter, uh, verse 43. And Moses did look upon all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Even so had they done it, and Moses blessed them. And chapter 40, verse 34. Now we see the results after it's all finished. The tabernacle, it's all set up. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation, because the cloud abode upon them thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The Lord's glory and presence there was such that Moses could not even... Um, Go in. The cloud covered the tent. Think of the contrast of the difference of that, the testimony that it was to the nations around compared to the time when they were worshiping idols. Now let's skip ahead. To the reign of King Solomon, you can turn to First Kings, we look at the nation of Israel at the height of its glory. King Solomon had the most glorious kingdom. He built a magnificent temple. Um, it took seven years. He built his own house. It took 13 years. Chapter 1 Kings 8, 23. Here we see Solomon's prayer at the temple after the temple was completed. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath, who keepest covenant and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee with all their heart. Verse 43. Hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calls to thee for, that all the people of the earth may know thy name, to fear thee as do thy people Israel, and that they may know that this house which I have builded is called by thy name. If only they could have made that happen for continual generations. That the stranger, that all the people of the earth would know the name of God and to fear him as the people of Israel did. It can slip away in such a short time if we are not diligent. 
chapter 8, verse 60, King Solomon admonishes the people that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. Let your heart, therefore, be perfect with the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandment, commandments as at this day. And the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. They offered 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. They had to hallow the middle court uh, because the brazen altar was too little for all the sacrifices. Verse 65. And at that time, Solomon held a feast and all Israel with him, a great congregation from the entering in of Hamath unto the river of Egypt before the Lord our God. Seven days, seven night, or seven days, seven days and seven days, even 14 days. On the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went unto their tents. Joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had done for David his servant and for Israel his people. The king blessed the people. They went unto the tents joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that God had done. First Kings 9.22 We see that of the children of Israel, Solomon did not make bondmen. They were not the slaves. The children of Israel were not the slaves in this kingdom. But they had, um, they were the men of war, as servants, as princes, as captains, rulers of chariots, horsemen. They had the important positions. They didn't have the, the dirty work that they had to do. They had other people that did that for them. <clears throat> so in this, the glory of this kingdom, we find the king of Sheba hears about this and comes for a visit. Chapter 10, verse 1. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. Drop down there to verse 4. When the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel, and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit, I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me by wisdom and prosperity, exceeded the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee, to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore made he thee, made he thee king to do judgment and justice. She was amazed. The half was not even told of the glory and splendor of Israel and King Solomon. And we see that she gives the credit to God. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee. 
Down further in verse 21, Psalms drinking vessels were of gold, none were of silver. Silver was counted as nothing in those days. Um, had a navy bringing in gold and silver and ivory and apes and peacocks. Verse 23, chapter 10, 23. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and wisdom. And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God has put in his heart. The glory of the nation of Israel was leaving a real testimony in the world of what the people are like that serve God. Then the next verses there, it talks about how uh, all these people that came to visit Solomon brought presents. Um, the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones, and cedars made he to be as the sycamore tree that are in the vale for abundance. That's in verse 27. The next verse, though, it begins to change. Verse 28. King Solomon begins to fall. All is going well. He begins to do what God had commanded not to do. He began to get horses and chariots from Egypt. Chapter 11. He loved many strange women of whom God had said he should not. they should not. When he was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. Verse 6 of chapter 11, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 9, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord God of Israel. God is always faithful. His faithfulness includes bringing judgment for wrong as he promised. Right away, and a couple of verses later, we see that God began to stir up adversaries against King Solomon. And it seems it was downhill from here on. Much more could be looked at with the nations of Judah and Israel. There was some times they repented, turned back to God, and would last for a little while, and then they'd go back again, and God would have to punish them. So if you're interested in that, listen to uh, John D.'s messages. He has some very good messages on, on that. Now let's begin to look at the New Testament. This time of year, we think about Jesus giving his life for us, rising from the dead, beginning of the new covenant. Last Sunday, Brother John's message was about Calvary. Jesus' blood was shed for us, made it possible that sinful man can be reconciled with a holy God. The perfect sacrifice, something they did not have in the Old Testament. A new and better way. Hebrews is full of that. Turn to Matthew 3, verse 1. 
in the New Testament, we begin to hear about a kingdom. Possibly more, a little more of a general term, but Matthew 3, verse 1. Uh, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Before John the Baptist was saying it, now Jesus is saying it. Then Matthew 4, uh, 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And healing of all manner of sicknesses and all manner of disease among the people. Sermon on the Mount talks about the kingdom of God. Matthew 13 talks about the word of the kingdom. Matthew 13 talks about the children of the kingdom. Matthew 24, let's turn to that one. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. All these verses referring to the kingdom. There's another word that comes up in the New Testament. That was not in the Old Testament at all. The word church. Church can refer to a specific church. Church at large. Or even those already going to heaven. The first place the word church is used in the New Testament was by Jesus. Matthew 16 verse 15. Matthew sixteen fifteen, He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the king, keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The first place that I know of that the word church is mentioned in the Bible. Jesus is talking about how he will build his church. In Matthew 18, Jesus talks about uh, telling it to the church if a brother doesn't hear you. Um, if he neglect to hear the church, then he'd be as a heathen as a publican. After that, then the next place church is found is in Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. I don't think it's in any other Gospels. Um, if we go to Acts... 
to chapter 46. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. This must be the church Jesus was talking about in Matthew that he is going to build. The Lord is adding to the church. Surely it must be a church that he approves of if he's adding people to it. We see that they were with one accord. That sounds like when Moses told the people all the words of the Lord and they answered with one voice that they would do all that God said. X 5, verse 11. And great fear came upon all the church, and as upon as many as heard these things. Talking about what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judah, Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Here it talks about the church at Jerusalem. Go to chapter 9, verse 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and redified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Now churches is plural. It's talking about churches in Judea and Galilee and Samaria. The church is multiplying. Acts fourteen twenty two. Here we see they were Going around preaching, verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. They had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting. They commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Your kingdom of God is mentioned again, right close here to the church. And talks about how they ordained elders in every church. Uh, verse 27, uh, the church was gathered together. We go on to chapter 15. Um, we find, it talks about how they were brought on their way by the church. Uh, they declared unto them what the conversion of the Gentiles. They went to Jerusalem. They were received by the church. So we see the church sending, church receiving people. Um, Acts 15, verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company. Acts 16, verse 5. We see, and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 
verse 5. 1 Peter 2, verse 5. Ye, talking to the believers, also, as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Christians are the stones in the spiritual house of God. The believers are referred to as a holy priesthood. Holy, just as the Old Testament priests wore a sign that said, Holiness to the Lord. Here the believers are referred to as a holy priesthood. Drop down to verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Ye, referring we, the believers, the New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Didn't we hear that before? That's what God had said in the Old Testament. That's what he wanted to do with the children of Israel. Now in the New Testament, in the New Dispensation, it's the people of God, the Christians, the church, is the ones that God has called for those things. The New Testament here, Church is a chosen generation. In the Old Testament Jews, God said, I brought you unto myself above all people. New Testament church, a royal priesthood. The Old Testament Jews, it talks about a kingdom of priests. New Testament here, a holy nation. Exact same thing that said in the Old Testament. Peculiar people. The Old Testament said a peculiar treasure. Peculiar. Means his own special people. A people for his own possession. Brother Micah mentioned that in his devotions, I think, about special people. I think the last Sunday it was mentioned about the great price that was paid for the, that Jesus paid and how special we are, um, to him and to God. What a privilege we have to be part of that today. Let's look a little more into this thing of the church. Some of the writings of the Apostle Paul. Turn to Colossians 1.18, 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. 
Here we see Christ as the head. And talks about being the firstborn from the dead. Um, the guarantee of more to come. Jesus was the first one, but we shall be raised to newness of life uh, in the future as well. Uh, Ephesians 3, verse 20. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. We see that there is supposed to be glory in the church. That's the title of the message this morning, the glorious church. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Uh, There it talks about how husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish. So it talks about how Christ loved the church, how marriages are supposed to be a demonstration of that. Because he goes on to say that I speak concerning Christ and the church. Last weekend, my brother-in-law said his nephew asked, What do you do that you have such a great marriage? When we demonstrate um, the way God plans for it to be, it can be a light to other people to ask questions and give an opportunity to give an answer. We are to love as Christ to leave our own selfish desires and to be joined to Christ as one. Talking here about the church to be a glorious church, Vines gives the definition of splendid. The church is to be splendid. It's supposed to be holy without spot or wrinkle. Sometimes it's not that way, just like the children of Israel at times. My sister-in-law's niece said, I'm confused. What I read in the Bible, what professing Christians do is not the same. Let's not be like the children of Israel did with the golden calf and bring reproach to the name of God. On the other hand, this same girl who's not from a Christian background told my sister-in-law that she likes what she has. It must be nice to get up in the morning and not have to paint your face. Do I leave a testimony that is glorious to those who are truly seeking God? To the Christian, following Christ instead of the world brings freedom from the bondage and pressure of the world system. To those who want to follow Christ and the world, It seems like a bondage to them to not be able to follow the world. We made to think this past week of all the people I've gone to church with. 
that now either they or their children are now divorced, remarried, or have children out of wedlock. The list is way too long. God, our Creator, has given us instructions. We do not have to disobey very much until it's a slippery slope that goes down. Look at Solomon. Sometimes people ask, does it really matter, the little things? In the end, sometimes they make a big difference. It depends who we're following. Another comparison. um, Turn to Hebrews 8, verse 10. In the Old Testament, the commandments of God were written on stone. Now we have them written on our hearts. Hebrews 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Law is Old Testament. Love is New Testament. It does not replace God's moral law, but it is above it. Example, in the Old Testament, you're allowed to hate somebody, as long as you didn't kill them or steal from them or those kind of things. New Testament, not so. You must love them. Am I practicing the Old Testament or the New Testament standard? In the Old Testament, I mentioned because of Israel being stiff-necked, the tabernacle was pitched outside the camp. Let us keep our hearts pure and clean that Christ's Spirit may dwell in us. Last Sunday, Brother Daniel shared Romans 8.11. But the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. God's Spirit dwells in the hearts of the believers today. It's not in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle as it was in the Old Testament, but in the in the hearts of the believers. Turn to John thirteen thirty four. John 13:34 A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another Here is how the world is going to know that we are the disciples of Jesus if we have love one to another my nephew just returned from a cam project in Texas in a very poor area. The neighbors looking on said, wow, somebody really cares. He said they were seeing the love being demonstrated that we have received from God. And left a testimony. Can we work together and demonstrate that one to another that the world may see. Brother Matt shared this morning um, what true love is and what it's not. 
According to William McGrath, the early Christians had an extensive ministry of almsgiving, hospitality, sharing food and clothing with the poor, visiting and nursing the sick, caring for the widows and orphans, famine and disaster relief, etc. This was all part of their love ministry. The pagans saw and were astonished at the kindness of the Christians. And many of them turned to Christianity, even though they knew it meant persecution and possibly death. Because of the testimony that they saw being demonstrated by the Christians, there were many, not all, but there were many that turned and said, I want what you have. My siblings and their families, we had a work day at my parents recently, caught up a big tree. By the end of the day, we had it all split and hauled away, except the piece that was joined such that it refused to be put asunder. And the brush cleaned up. The neighbor lady, I think she's divorced, lives by, all by herself, looks on and she says, wow, you must have an amazing family. Are we a perfect family? No. My one brother-in-law was sick and wasn't there. My other brother has a broken heel. He had to use a crutch or a scooter to get around. If I even saw him crawling around on his knees to roll some logs on the splitter to get the job done. A neighbor lady looks on and says, wow. Isn't that the same way it should be with the church? The ungodly look on and say, Wow. I wish I had that. What do they have that I do not have? <clears throat> Are we at Oasis there yet? In some ways, maybe, but not all. Let's keep on striving for that. <clears throat> As in a marriage, each for the other and each for the Lord. Recently, I was impressed with God's formula for healing. You can turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Here as we confess, open our hearts to one another. Pray for one another to be healed, to become righteous. As to become righteous, it says the effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then God can work and accomplish things. There's still many hurts among us. It's part of life. <clears throat> many times our hurts are unnecessary, though, also. I was impressed with how we compare that to physical injuries. A person that is injured phys- physically becomes defensive. Brother Warren sprained his ankle. If you would have went and bumped his ankle, I think you would have got pretty defensive. That's the way our bodies function. 
A sign that healing is beginning is when we stop being defensive. You think about when you've injured something that you, you, you protect that, you, you guard that very carefully. But as it begins to get better, you become less defensive about that injured part of your body. I talked to Brother Warren just before the service. He gave me this thought. Sometimes we get used to being that way and it becomes a habit without trying to. When we're injured, we become defensive and it gets to be a habit. After a while, we continue to limp or whatever we were doing before because of that injury. Do I rejoice now that it's Warren's turn to be injured? No. I can sympathize with him. Okay, I, I guess I must explain. Right after we came back from Africa, we were playing softball, and I did the dumb thing of sliding into home base, and Brother Warren came down on my knee, and I was injured. Sometimes we need help to be healed. I had to go for therapy for my knee. I think it took a whole year until I had good use of my knee again. A scar shows that you have been injured, but now it is healed. Does that mean a scar goes completely away? No. At least not very fast. I had a scar in my hand where I poked myself working on a vehicle. But now in a study, I can hardly find it. But it had been there for almost 30 years. Sometimes being hurt, injured by others has some of these same characteristics. First Peter there, go back to First Peter again, First Peter chapter 2. Verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Would it be our desire that God would be the one that gets the honor and the glory because of our testimony? First Peter 2 there, back up to verse 1 and 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Let's grow together. None of us have arrived. Let's grow together as we seek God and his word.
This was just a quick overview. Many more points of comparison can be made between the priests and the Christian, the nation of Israel and the kingdom of God, the tabernacle and our spiritual temple, as well as between the old and new covenants. We sang the mentioned before, the first song we sang this morning. Give him the glory, great things he has done. Would that be, could that be our testimony? Jesus has done his part for us. Now he's left it up to us. As Brother Matt said about bearing each other's burdens, bearing each other's burdens, sometimes we need to be able to open up to do that. So I trust as we desire to seek God together, my desire is that we could be church. God would be glorified. And people can be healed to go on and serve God. God bless you.